Good morning, church. Isn't it always great to assemble amongst God's people and just to feel that, that love and, and happiness and joy just to, be, just to be here to worship God? And what an exciting thing. And we welcome you, both members and uh, visitors alike. We thank God for your attendance today. We thank God that you're here. Let's go, please, together to God in prayer. A righteous and wonderful God in heaven, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Oh, we praise you, O oh God, and we, we love you, and we thank you so, so very much for allowing us to assemble, to worship you, to recognize, Lord God, that heaven responds to our worship, and we recognize what an amazing thing to know, Lord God, that you're looking upon us from heaven, and, and Lord God, you, you're receiving our worship. And we're thankful. We stand in awe. Help us never to forget Jesus, your great son, who died on that cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. Help us, Lord God, always to keep you first in our lives. These things we ask and pray in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be thy will. Amen. Skepticism. We're still... Rounding the corner, we're almost finished with Jesus in the Old Testament. Today, skepticism. Are, are we religious skeptics? Really, we're talking about religious skepticism. As I consider my Christian walk of faith, I must ask myself continuously, are there doubts that remain in my heart about my reward? You ever talk to a Christian and they start thinking about their reward in heaven and they start saying, I don't know. I don't know if God can get me there. The promises of God, the, the promise of heaven. Is Jesus truly coming back? Am I? Are we God's people? Are we special and unique to God? Why does the world prosper? Why does the world prosper more or greater than we? What are some of our skeptical thoughts today? Where is God? Where is God today with all the turmoil that's going on, with all the struggles in our world? Where, where is God? In my personal life, as I go through my personal issues, where is God? Where has God been? Where has God been all all this time through all these years, and what is God doing? Is God doing anything today about justice, about wickedness? What is He about to do? And is He going to do anything about this or about that? Numbers chapter 13. What I want to show you is that skepticism amongst God's people is, is not new. It's something that exists. Sometimes even we would admit in our own hearts and minds. And I hope that we could find in Jesus the ability to remove all the skepticism that's in our hearts and in our minds. They were spying out the promised land. And what God didn't say was that you'd have to go and fight a war. God just said, I'm giving you a land that flows with milk and honey. He never told them how he was going to give it to them. 
And when the day came when they were going to go and spy the land out, they saw something that frightened them. In verse 29, the Bible says, Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And then Caleb cried to the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. How do you know that? Right? You ever said that? You ever thought in your own mind? We can't do it. Why not? Well, because, and we give this reason that we come up in our own minds and we say, here's the reason why. And we start believing that that's the reason why. How do they know that? So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we've gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And there also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so if we are grasshoppers, then what was God? Because God promised to give the land. So if we're grasshoppers, God must be like an ant or something. I don't know. They had no faith. They were skeptical of whether or not God could fulfill the promises that he made to them. And then they made their own plan. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness and why is the Lord bringing us out this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Since God can't do it, we can. And here's how we're going to do it. You ever done that? You ever prayed to God and said, God, please help me. And then you say, you know, I don't know if God can help me. And then you say, you know, God's not really going to help me. And then you just go do it your own way. And then you got to come back to that prayer again and say, okay, God, I blew that one. Can you help me? I don't know if God's going to help me. <laughs> you know how it works, right? And that's what they were doing. They, they were skeptical of whether or not God could fulfill the things he promised that he could do. And in verse 8, Caleb and Joshua give a good report. And they say, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people in the land, for they shall surely be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Because... They were so skeptical that even the truth bothered them. 
about that? And God asks this question. In verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I perform in their midst. I guess the question is, what else does God have to do in your life to cause you to believe and trust in Him with all of your might, with all of your mind, with all of your heart, and with all of your soul? When you write that list, what things did you doubted and God fulfilled them? And, and what things are you doubting today? And what would God have to do to convince you that He is real? And that not only will He do what He's promised, He's already done it. What more do I have to do? And then how about this? Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. So they cry to God. They say, God, give us help. So God says, all right, I'm going to give you help. And how many times in your life have you prayed to God to give you an answer and to give you help, and then when He gives it to you, you kind of say, well, not like that. <laughs> right? I didn't really mean for you to do it that way, Lord. <laughs> right? We've been there, haven't we? That, that's what they did. Exodus 16 and verse 11. They cried and complained about food. God, give us some meat. And I, I remember my mama used to say, you say, Mama, what is this? And she'd say, food, now eat it. Right? And God didn't say that, right? So in verse 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. All right. Now Jesus, John chapter 6, explains to them what that was in a spiritual sense. And they were like, well, you know, first of all, just like our ancestors, our fathers, they were like, what is that? And we're saying, and they were saying, well, we don't really want that. Because in John 6, the message that Jesus preached was so powerful that the Bible says many just didn't believe and they walked away. They just left God. In verse 33, the Bible says, The bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of God. Of life, who comes down, he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verse forty-one. The Jews therefore were grumbling about him because he said, "I am the bread that came down 
out of heaven. And they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. And what did they say? Yeah, we don't want you, Jesus. We want God. We want something that's a little easier. We want a life that's more pleasant. We want to be able to look at the bread and say, this is my kind of bread. The Bible says later, left, many left him. All that brings us back to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. There's some strong feelings about God. And God reveals them to his people uh, that he knows what they're thinking. And he knows what's on their hearts. And I wonder, what would happen if God revealed to me what was on my heart? What I'm really, really thinking when he asked the question, will you serve me all the days of your life? And are you giving me 100% of you? of yourself? Are you giving me all of your mind, all of your strength? Do you love me with all of your mind, all of your strength? And I'd say, oh, of course I do, Lord. And he reveals what's truly on my heart. What would God say to you? So listen to some of the things they were saying about God, these strong feelings. Verse 13, God says, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against thee. Does God really know what's really on your heart? I mean, God, come on. What have we said about you that's bad? Come on, God. Verse 14. You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. As I look out amongst the world, I see the prosperity of the world and how good they have it. And they don't have to come to worship. We use the word have to, right? They don't have to come to worship. And they're doing just fine. Isn't it vain? To serve God? I mean, I could have just stayed home today and watched the football game or something, and that would have been all right, right? That's what they were thinking in their hearts. What are we thinking in our hearts when it comes to worshiping God? Are we thinking like them? Like they? It's vain to worship, to serve God. And really, what profit is it to be a Christian versus being a non-Christian? What do I gain by the sacrifices that I make and by being obedient and faithful to God. What do I gain from this? Chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. 
You know how we, you know, like Hollywood portrays it, you know, the, the bad guy never dies. You know, it's kind of right. You, you know how we think, right? You know, it's like, well, you know, evil people never die. They just, I mean, look at how great their lives are. Look at all the stuff they have. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Well, where is the God of justice? Does God, Isaiah 5, please, in verse 20, does God delight in evil? Is God pleased with evil people? You say, well, well God, you keep blessing them. You, you haven't made a real distinction between your people and the world. I mean, the world goes on the same like it's always been. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Through Isaiah the prophet, God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then some of us are bold enough to say, Well, what's God going to do about it? Back to Malachi chapter 2. Listen to the second part of that, of that question. God has favor for those who do evil and, and wickedness, and, and God blesses them. And then chapter 2, verse 17, the second part of that, He delights in them. Where is the God of justice? Where's the justice? Where's the God of justice? God says, I'm going to, you know, uh, punish evil and wickedness. And we're like, when, when are you going to do that, God? And, and, and when something bad happens to me and, you, and you, you rely on the courts and the judge and, and then the people get off free and you go, God, what are you going to do about this? And this isn't the first time. Habakkuk, please. Habakkuk chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 1. It's not the first time that God's people have thought this way or, or asked this question of God. God, what are you going to do about all of this wickedness and, and evil that is before us? And why do they keep getting away with evil and wickedness? And, and why are you allowing all this bad to happen to us? And you're not doing anything about it. And that was the same question as, as this, this book is called a theodicy, you know, where, where Habakkuk is personally talking to God and God is speaking directly to Habakkuk. And, and the oracle, if you will, says this, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? Chapter 1, verse 2. And thou wilt not hear. I cry out to thee violence, and yet thou dost not say. Why dost thou make me see iniquity? And cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. And God says, because I am doing something. In your days, you would not believe if you were told. God is active. Someone, someone told me a while ago, let's turn to Second Peter, please, chapter 3, that you know what God did. He, he made the world, and then He wound it up and just let it go. 
And then he stepped out of it, you know. He stepped away and said, okay, you, you folks have at it and, and do what you want with it and whatever happens, happens. Is that what God has done? Skepticism. The injustice that, that we see in our world as, is the opposite of the justice of God. And God says, I'm doing something. I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And you go, okay, God, what are you doing? And God says, first, I want you to think about what I've done. Okay. Second, uh, Second Peter chapter 3 in verse, verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mockings, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world that at that time was destroyed being flooded with water, but the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Wait a minute. Something happened. The world and his wickedness and evil, and, and God did something. What did he do? Well, let's see. When we think about the archaeological finds today, there are, there are, we don't even talk about it anymore. There are, there are millions of fish fossils on top of the mountains. How did he get there? Because God destroyed the water, or the world rather, by water. He sent the flood. And, and I don't even know what the number of people were that God destroyed. It's not the same. See, they reasoned in their hearts and they said, the world is going on the same as it's always been. It is not the same. When God made it in the beginning, there were, if you will, uh, perfection in the sight of man and God. But then God destroyed that world and now we're living in this world and guess what God promises is going to happen to this one? Well, let's read it. Verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the, with, the word of the, with the word, excuse me, with, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed in the in, with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people are you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? God says, I am doing something that if I told you, you wouldn't believe. So there was the world and creation, perfection, 
and then it became evil. And there are the thousands of years between when God started the earth, began the earth, to the great flood. The great flood came, and then the God let the earth go on. And there are thousands of years, and then Jesus came. And Jesus says, this is it. And now there are, uh-oh, a couple thousand years. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'm coming back. Church, he's coming back. And the question this morning is, are you skeptical about that? John, please, chapter 10. Do you believe that Jesus Christ any moment, any day now could come back? And he said, I'll give you no warning, but I'm coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? Or are we saying, well, you know, I mean, I know he said he's coming back. Well, look, it's been about 2,000 years, and he hasn't come yet, right? Is he really going to come in our lifetime? Skepticism. Jesus says to us, do not be unbelieving, but believe. John 10 and verse 22, at that time, the Feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. It's pretty plain, he's saying to them. I've already told you, and now I've been showing you all these miracles, and you still don't believe. Verse 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He does miracle after miracle, noteworthy miracle after miracle. And then you know what happens? They executed him. And he got up. What more do you need? What more evidence do you need to believe if God can raise himself from the dead. That when he promises to come back, that he will fulfill that promise. If these things are to be so, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and in Christian living? Where should God be in our spectrum, if you will, of life. Where is God on your list? Is he number one? Or is he just, maybe just number three or so? Preacher, how will I know that answer? I'd say by your work. So here's what Jesus says. And next week, we'll, we're going to finish the whole thing about Jesus and the Old Testament. 
Malachi is going to just bring it all home for us. Jesus says something profound in John 8, in verse, in verse 24. I want you to recognize what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 8. But I want you to really, I want you to really, to, to just, to really get, please get what he, he's teaching, what he's trying to show them. And I'm going to skip all the way. I'm going to come back to John 8, 24 in a moment. But I'm going to skip all the way over to, to John 8 and verse 58. Because this, this is the point he was trying to make with them. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, Jah, I am. I am the Messiah. I am God. I am, I am it. I and the Father are one. The Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son are one. God, 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 part of the Godhead. That's who I am. I am the I am, the self-existent one. And when they heard that in verse 59, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, because he, but he hid himself and went out of the temple because he said, this is the answer to your questions. And I will accept no other place in your life but number one. Matthew 6.33. A few other places. To us this morning, who is Jesus to you? John 8.24 Jesus said to them, I say therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, that I am, you shall die in your sins. And this morning, let me drop this and leave this. If you truly believe that Jesus is going to come back and that He who died on the cross, who suffered for you, for me, is going to stand as your paraclete, your defense attorney, if you want to call it that. And He's going to look at you when the Father says, give an account of yourself. And you're going to look over at Jesus and hope that Jesus is going to say, this is my faithful servant. My question to you this morning is, based on your life today, when you look over at Jesus, will he remain silent? Or will he speak in your behalf? The lesson is yours. This morning, if you are not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. That's how you become his. Right? Having heard his word and believed it and have godly sorrow in your heart. Confess his name before men. Be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you're a child of God and you're struggling in your walk of faith, and you need prayers of the church. Today's the day. Now's the time. Today's the acceptable day. This morning, if we can help in any way, please come. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation.